welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson, and we are here to talk about tips and strategies that you can employ to deepen your faith, improve your relationships, and just get the most out of your life. Thank you for joining. Let's get started. Okay, before we get into today's topic, I just have to tell you, I can't believe we've made it through 66 episodes and I have not yet asked you this question. The question for today's topic is so important. I've taught it, believed it, and tried to live it for a long time now, and I have no excuse. Last episode, I started with, thank you. Maybe I need to start this one with, I'm sorry. I should have already gotten to this, but here we are now, and we're going to do it. The question for you today is this, are you a 90 or a 52? I want you to think about that today, answer that question, and proceed to prove your response. Now, I understand out of context, there's no real way of knowing. Maybe you look at those two numbers and you say, well, 90 is a bigger number, so I'm going with that. I'm a 90. Maybe you're thinking in terms of age. Well, I'm not old like that yet. I think I'll choose 52. Well, I'll tell you this. If you're thinking in terms of days and years, you're on the right track. I'll give you that. However, don't make the mistake of assuming that the difference between 90 and 52 is 38. That may not seem like that big a deal no matter what we're talking about. But the difference is actually much, much larger than that. In fact, as we begin to zero in on the context today, I will let you know that the difference between being a 90 and being a 52 is 32,800. That is a massive gap. So today, when you decide which one you are, just know that they are very far apart And I think you're going to see how that has an impact on your life. Okay, I've got you all confused, or maybe you've already skipped to another episode or whatever. I'm a math nerd. I don't know. I like the numbers. But here is the story. I need to tell you about the days of Nehemiah. This story is found in the Old Testament, in the book that bears that name. And here's how it goes. Long after the Israelites had returned from Babylonian captivity way off, far away from Jerusalem, lived a man in the Persian region named Nehemiah. He was a Jew, an Israelite. Probably he had been raised in the region of Persia, Susa. And we don't even know if he'd ever been to Jerusalem. But one day some Israelites come to town and they inform him that back in his homeland, back in Jerusalem, The people had not repaired the walls. They had returned home from captivity, set free and allowed to go back to the place where they had worshipped God before. They had resumed many parts of their life. They had restarted businesses. They had finally reassembled and rebuilt the temple. And their homes were back inhabitable again. But the defenses of God's city The walls that had previously protected it were still in shambles. Nehemiah couldn't believe it. 
It had been, and here's your first number, 90 years. They had walked around that rubble and failed to rebuild the wall for 90 years. At this point, it had become generational. Chances are the people who first had returned home had died leaving the walls in shambles. They bore children who grew up and became accustomed to fallen defenses and being subject to the power of the enemies around them. By this time, you may be even another generation in, and they had given up on being strong again. And the enemies around them, as we learn in Nehemiah, frequently took advantage of that. Well, let me just tell you, Nehemiah was not a 90. He was not a guy who would waste his whole life, his children's life, his children's children's life in 90 years of doing nothing. He was upset and he wouldn't stand for it. So Nehemiah, passionate about this project, goes to King Artaxerxes, the Persian king, explains the situation and requests to make a trip to Jerusalem. The king supports that request and even gives him a lot of the tools that he would need to repair it. So Nehemiah travels all the way back to Jerusalem, a long journey. He gets into town and he walks around and surveys everything for about three days. Then he gathers all of the citizens together and says, this is ridiculous. God has blessed you with this return and you need to honor him by rebuilding these walls. He talks about their need to work together, shares his passion, and encourages them to act. Well, Nehemiah must have done a good job because he got everybody on board. And in Nehemiah chapter 3, they started building that wall. And as you might can guess, as soon as they got started, Nehemiah chapter 4, the neighboring regions and cities and governments opposed them. They mocked them for their effort, first of all, because they had seen nothing but weakness from the Jews for nearly a century. So the adversaries thought they would call them a few names, threaten to attack them, and they would quit. But they didn't quit. They kept working. Even when the news came that these area governments were going to formally come against the city, everyone kept building. In fact, the text is super awesome. It talks about how some people had a hammer in one hand and a sword in the other. Some people, while they were doing the building with the hammers, at their back, facing outward, were men with soldiers' equipment. They were not going to quit. Well, if you know that story, you may know what I'm about to tell you. In Nehemiah chapter 6, the Bible reveals that they rebuilt the wall, fortified the city, stood up for who they were, and honored God's gift of return, and it took them 52 days. Days. Not 52 weeks, or months, or even years. Less than two months of work, and they had restored what was fallen. And so there are our two numbers. What they had not accomplished In 32,800 days, Nehemiah rallied them to complete in just 52. So now I bring you back to the big question. Are you a 90 or a 52? 
Look, if that doesn't sum up the Excel Still More journey and what we're all about, I don't know what does. There are people who can go their whole lives accepting failure, incorporating weakness as a part of who they are, whether it be their faith or their friendships or the way they handle their finances or even their fitness. They can accept that the world will beat them down and they can't make it better. They will walk around the rubble, basically incorporating it as a natural part of life their entire lives. And saddest of all, these same weaknesses in discipline, in courage, and in growth become generational. Those people die off, but guess what? They have children who don't look at this broken wall and think we should fix that. They look at what's broken and they say, well, it's always been broken. If it was important to fix, my parents would have fixed it. And so guess what happens? The exact same thing that happened to Israel. On the other hand, there are people who won't stand for it. They get upset that lethargy has been the standard for their lives or for the people that they love. They accept responsibility for it. This is a real tell of the awesomeness of Nehemiah. It wasn't even his fault. He wasn't even there. And yet when he originally prayed to God about it, he said, God, we have done this. We will fix it. There are people who take responsibility for that lethargy and are determined to make it right and rally everybody up and get to it. And I have seen recommitted people make a bigger difference in their lives in less than two months than they had accomplished in the entirety of their life up to that point, and maybe even more in their walk with God or their marriages or their life than even generationally had been done going back up their family tree. That is exciting. That is optimistic. And I hope you're listening right now thinking, I am a 52 There is no telling what I will accomplish in the next 52 days if I start now and I get serious about it. I hope that's what you're thinking. You might be thinking, honestly, I'm kind of a 90. Whether it's my life, my weight, my worship, my marriage, I've just kind of accepted the rubble. Well, if that's you, I hope you can say, you know what, Nehemiah turned that around and I can turn this around. Nehemiah wouldn't stand for it, and I won't stand for it. Now, what we need to do in this last series of minutes is I need to walk you through a few really important pieces of that puzzle that allowed it to all come together, and then we'll finish with a 52-day challenge. Okay, let's start with a couple of things that seem obvious, but they must not be overlooked. There are two words that got the entire thing going. Passion and prayer. If you pray about change, but you have no passion for it, you will not change. If you have passion for making it better, but you're not incorporating the power and the presence of God, you're fighting an uphill battle. A couple of the things about Nehemiah that just jump off the page is it became his cause Like his life passion was, I am going to fix that for myself, for my family, 
for the nation and for God. And he prayed about it. If you go back and read the first six chapters of Nehemiah, he prayed before he talked to King Artaxerxes. He prayed on the journey. He prayed when he got there. He prayed while they were building. He kept his fire burning for something he wanted to see done, and he let God be a part of that every step of the way. So I would say this. I gave you the four F's from episode eight a minute ago. Maybe it has to do with things about your fitness that need to be repaired or your finances, or perhaps your friendships, and most importantly of all, your faith. Look, you can hear the sermons on that and listen to the podcasts, but until you find something broken that you are passionate about repairing, I mean, it's burning in you, I've got to do this, then it will be very difficult to follow through with. But once you've decided that something matters, maybe it has to do with the future of your family, your kids and their love for God, or how long you'll be around on this earth. You get excited about what you might can do about that, and then you pray to God. You pour it out. Ask beautiful questions. Ask God for guidance and help, and don't stop asking. So that's the beginning. You've got to become passionate about a project in order to properly engage and bring God into the picture. Well, here's something else. He did not try to do it by himself. I'll give you a couple of other words here. You don't have to remember these. But when he gets there, he engages in community and cooperation. The first thing he does is he gets all these people together and he says, don't you guys think we need to fix this? Isn't this important for us? And he gets them all agreeing to that. And then he says, okay, let's do this together. Let's be accountable to one another. Let's defend one another. Let's work it side by side. So at that point, it became real. It wasn't just one man's desire in prayer life. It was a community of people who wanted to get that same thing done and deciding to be accountable and work together. You can do this. You can do it with your family. You can sit down with your family and say, here are some walls we need to rebuild. Don't you think we need to get started? And then come up with a strategy to be accountable and work together. You can do this with your church. Meet with people in the church, meet with the leadership, talk to the preacher and say, isn't this something that's gotten some cracks in it that we need to fortify? Get them excited, work together. So don't try to do all this on your own. Nehemiah knew that he needed help. Would have taken him forever by himself. 52 days was possible because of community, cooperation, or collaboration. And then let me say one other thing about this. Just expect adversity. If we think that hard things get done without any adversity, then maybe we don't understand what the word hard is. If the wall had been easy to rebuild, they would have, you know, rebuilt it. I mean, after a couple of decades or something, they would have gotten around to it. But the nations around them dissuaded them and verbally attacked them, and they couldn't stand up under the pressure. So whatever it is that you do in the next 52 days, maybe that you haven't done in years or even your entire life, just know this, it's going to be hard. Change is hard. Accelerating growth is also hard. But you and I both know the most fulfilling things we do in this life, number one, are things we do in the name of God. And number two are things that we fight for and we don't give up. Okay, so maybe you're self-motivated and you already know exactly how you're going to apply today's episode. 
But in case you need a little guidance, we'll talk about the challenge today, and then I'll go ahead and give you a few specifics. The challenge is simple. Mark the calendar. Starting today, for the next 52 days, go about something courageous. Build something that is important or rebuild something that is broken. And get as much help as you can and fight for it. Here are some really cool examples that I've seen in years past. There are people who never read the New Testament in a year. But they got together with some others from church, three or four, and they read the New Testament in 52 days. That was really cool. Some ladies at Lindale did that recently. There are some families who had never walked through the gospel message and the church message with their families. Well, it turns out that Luke and Acts combined is 52 chapters, and they read a chapter a day, and they finally did that as a family. There are people who've not been in shape in forever, who started doing push-ups and walking and jogging a little bit, and in 52 days changed their lives. There are people I know with terrible illnesses who changed their diet. I know, that's tough. But they got passionate about it, created a support system, and changed their eating for two months and literally changed their lives. But this isn't just about you. Think about the effect of this approach on relationships as well. A couple of months of selfless devotion to your mate, just a couple of months, can change your marriage entirely. I've seen people get that fireproof workbook that's featured in that movie of the same name and make huge strides in improving their marriages. I may have even tried it myself a time or two. We've seen people engage in the financial peace makeover material, cutting up credit cards on day one, passionate about change, really getting control of their life back in a span of just a couple of months. So listen, the opportunities for you to use Nehemiah's courage and conviction to make changes, they're endless. Only one question remains. Are you a 90 or a 52? Thank you so much for listening today. We encourage you to check out the website, excelstillmore.life, where you can subscribe to emails, order the three-month journal, or check out past episodes. As always, please consider sharing this with people in your life who you think we can help. And whatever you do today in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, excel still more.